Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Go to the library now. Hello, sweetie. Oh, hello. Sorry to burst in on you like this. Okay, if we stop here for a bit. Hold to open. Yes, and what do you do? Ooh, life of the time traveler. Never knew it could be such hard work. Here comes the drums. So here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, a Doctor Who podcast that is taking on the entire series in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we are a couple of journalists who write about Doctor Who, have written about Doctor Who, love Doctor Who, rewatch Doctor Who like crazy. And I don't know about you, Pete, but but the show actually helps tamp down my Doctor Who rewatching. Kind of like mm. just you know one one a week or one story a week is kind of less on average I'd say that I normally be doing. So I'm, there are often times where I might say like, oh, I want to go watch the eleventh hour. And I'm like, no, save mm. it for the pod. You know, I hear that, and I have supplemented um, my week with Big Finish. Ooh, that's a thing I do. Uh, is... I've actually begun really going through the Eighth Doctor adventures. Like I kind of did a few mm. random ones back in the day, and. I had started some of the Lucy Miller stuff, which was uh, a little more recent. And then I was like, you know what? I got to go back to the beginning, start with all the, the stuff with um, the Charlie, mm. uh, his other, and basically he names all the companions in right. Night of the Doctor. It's great. Yeah, uh, they're all kind of, so, yeah. So it's great. I, uh, it's a great thing to listen to when you're chopping some vegetables or perhaps going <laughs> for a run or many other things you might do in the course of a week, fighting off some killer shadows. Uh, uh, have those AirPods in and listening to some adventures. It, indeed, Pete, Pete. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Sorry. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't yet revealed. Not like you've looked at the podcast now to see which episode we're covering. We haven't yet revealed it. Um, but yeah, I would love to. We talked about this in the past. Speaking of Big Finish, I would love. I'm very intimidated by the size of the Big Finish canon, as I think a, a lot of listeners probably are. And I would love like a top 10 list of here oh. are the adventures you should listen to. I want the quality stuff. I know mm-hmm. the big finish, love it, love it, hate it. It it does vary a little bit in quality across the writing because there's just so much of it. Mm. Um, Official fan so. request, everyone. Yes, let's get a top ten list to Chris of the best big finish. I haven't my my knowledge of big finish is not nearly comprehensive enough that I'd be confident in my choices. I've I've definitely listened to more than ten, mm. but. Um, I'd probably give you a top five. That's probably that's, all I could. That's okay. great. Yeah, but I could do. It. But we need we need someone who's listening to them all. This Send is. I'm just guys. sort of like like our episode today. I'm laying down a marker that will that will bear fruit. You know, many years in the future. 
Cool. So hit <laughs> so, us up at yeah. poll to open 63 on Twitter or Instagram or poll to open podcast at gmail.com if you would mm-hmm. like to send it that way. Or you could go to our most popular and engaged social platform, TikTok, and uh, want to send us a video reply to one of our videos. And that you can find them all at poll to open, just, just that poll to open on TikTok, which by the way, has been growing very, 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 very quickly. <laughs> like, yes, indeed. Doing doing closing time uh, really sort of helped us take off in our number of followers. I believe we got four hundred. Yeah, and uh, we got uh, about yeah. It, it really it's really starting to blow up. We're getting closing in on four thousand total. Wow. And what I'm learning is that there's a lot of love for Matt Smith. And yep. his doctor, and there was a lot to love about Mad Smith, it, Matt, Mad, Matt Smith, Mad, Mad Smith, Smith. <laughs> as we well, like to call him. Very apt, actually. Yep. Uh, Freudian slip there, but yep. um, yeah, there, he, we, there was a lot to praise about his performance and the things about his doctor. It was actually a really interesting episode with respect to the Matt Smith doctor. It's very unusual for him, and there's that whole 200 year gap which we went over the last podcast. But people had a lot to say and a lot of mm-hmm. uh, a lot a lot of praise for him. Even even some people, a lot of people are this his favorite doc, their favorite doctor, the yep. doctor they started with, which I I, I find is. I'm always constantly reminded that a whole generation of people has been brought up on New Who, mm-hmm. who who think of Eggleston, Tennant, and Matt Smith as their doctors. And TikTok is a great place that I'm constantly reminded of that because I keep wanting to cel- celebrate it. Indeed, right. indeed. I mean, it's still it's still wild to me that my wife thinks of Sylvester McCoy as her doctor, mm, uh, yeah. as, a, as a Tom <laughs> Baker guy. But you know, it's always your first doctor. You you, you love your first doctor. Uh, yeah, and really the the the, the TikTok that entered at kind of our top 10 all time from closing time was mm-hmm. the the one talking about matt smith's range as Indeed. an actor right um just the the sadness and the joy that he shows in this episode um yeah he could go from one end of the spectrum to the other so yeah. quickly and so convincingly probably again t- like your favorite doctor like tom <laughs> baker was also very good at that zany fun could instantly turn on the seriousness and you would 100 oh, yeah. believe it yeah he he was certainly a mad baker Mm-hmm. As we like to call him, he. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been envisioning some that. very, very weird cupcakes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh. All right. Well, Before let's, let's we uh... get on to the business. Though we've talked about the socials, which is always good, mm. but we also need to talk about reviews. Everybody, everybody listening, this is a podcast, as you know, and podcasts thrive on your feedback, your reviews, wherever you're listening to us, be it Apple, Spotify. Uh, Breaker. Uh, there's a million that aren't populated in my head right now, but there's a lot of podcast services. Most of them offer the opportunity to leave a review. Please leave a review. It really helps the podcast. Uh, we really want to get to 50 reviews across all our platforms. So we we would love to read your review out on air. Uh, yep. But they really, really do help us get visible in the podcast apps you're on and really get exposed to pod to more and more people. So please, please pause the playback, leave a rating, leave a one star Leave a two-word review, like "great job." That's fine. We'll read that. <laughs> just, I want you to get up, get up from your couch right now. Go to the window, open it, and leave us a review. Yeah, last time I said leave us, just leave us a thumbs up emoji. I think uh, be a little cleverer with your emoji review and just leave us a scarf, maybe. Oh wow, nice. Yeah, yeah. Or some and stars. Then we'll I don't know. Rocket and- ship. Those we we need to uh, lobby the International Emoji Council for there is such a thing uh, for, like, uh, first of all, a little TARDIS, obviously. Secondly, mm. I think maybe a Fez. 
Oh, yes. be a great yes. addition. Yeah. We will even allow the Vulcan salute, and we'll count <laughs> that on our Star Trek reference counter. That's up to about seven now or so. so. Yeah, I cannot believe we need equity in the geek world. I cannot believe that there is a Vulcan salute emoji, and there is nothing for Star Wars. There's nothing for Doctor Who. I mean, come on. Representation, mm, guys. Representation matters. Totally. Anyway, totally. <laughs> not so, just Vulcans. All right. Let's get into it. To business, yes. So previously on Pull to Open, <laughs> we were in the forest of the de- of the night. Right. Crap, I revealed it too early. <laughs> Spoilers. Damn it. We can we can fix that in post. <laughs> For some reason I feel like I don't want to. So from the Forest of the Nights, which was a very eh kind of episode, I think we both mm. felt kind of eh about eh. it. It's, to... it's one you kind of liked to eh on though. So, <laughs> for whatever that's worth. It's always fun to eh, even on meh, Doctor Who. It really is. Uh, and that's the, the joy of the show. Um, so we went to literally the only other story in the history of Doctor Who that has the name Forest in it. The Forest of the Dead, which almost wasn't called that. And, of course, the preceding episode, the makeup on story, Silence in the Library. Mm, this uh, is even before Silence fell. Indeed. First, first Silence of... <laughs> <laughs> relevant silence of the new new who you know if if they if they ever reshoot silence in the library and I, I i let's get into this now i think they should because the the video quality is not great right it was not the 4k oh, yeah. era uh so i think we need to get david tennant Catherine tate and uh, yeah. uh alex kingston back step to shoot this in 4k and i think that they should digitally insert um some actual silence in the library reading the books just you Ooh. know occasionally in the background silence in the library i love it good times <laughs> i'm sure someone's done some fan art that is exactly what you're mm. talking about so feel free to link that to one of the socials too but yes we went from forest to forest um and we've I mean, gone from from one of the most meh episodes to a one that i think every whovian agrees is is a classic yeah you definitely say, one sort of, of the new classics yeah i i will get into it but yeah like i i was struck about how much uh this is this is just a beautifully constructed story but let's mm. let's speaking of the story chris Crap. and this we really need to first establish the story uh with a, did you look at my stooling <laughs> it was pretty good but <laughs> it's inevitable we come here mm. all the time you cannot escape uh this time can't be rewritten here <laughs> this is tldw or it's about to be this is our regular segment too long doctor who too long didn't watch and we are going to summarize the entire story of silence in the library and forest of the dead in record time um now we give one minute for every episode of the new series mm-hmm. so you actually have a full two minutes to summarize this story i'm so, feeling somewhat confident given given that it's sort of like i feel particularly the second episode should be se- easy to summarize but as soon as i say that i'm like thinking no probably mm, not i think you got a challenge here my friend there's some twists mm, and turns and mm. second episode there's some radical some radical changes in what's going on so um but you do have some room to stretch, just not not yeah. so much as say when we did the green death. All right, well, I'm ready. All right. <laughs> my tabs all right. are all closed because we do this live without a net. And I only get one shot. Yep, two minutes, and they'd better not be that silent. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're gonna start this in three, 
Oh wait, no! You, have you closed all your windows? You can't. You can't look at anything. You got it all. All right, you're looking just at looking at the TARDIS on my desktop. There are no notes. All from memory. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen in three, two, one, go. So the Doctor and Donna land on a planet that's an entire library in the 51st century, and uh, they uh, see that the library's empty. It's it's no no survivors, but 4,000 people are missing. And the Doctor was summoned there by a mysterious note on his psychic paper with a kiss. Uh, and uh, they discover also in the library there's a team of archaeologists who somehow got in, and uh, they they start being eaten by the Vashnarada, which is a race that lives in shadows, and they're basically like piranhas. Um, and uh, the Doctor seems to have a connection with one of the archaeologists, uh, Professor River Song. He doesn't know what it is, but she certainly knows him. Uh, anyway, the, the Vashnarada are, are eating people, getting into their uh, suits, which have this sort of memory loop in them. And, uh, you know, and the, the climax of the first episode, the Doctor and River and the remaining archaeologists are fleeing the Vashnarada, uh, who have inhabited Dave, who's saying, who turned out the lights. Meanwhile, Donna, instead of getting transported back to the TARDIS, One is minute. inserted into the computer in the library where uh, Dr. Moon meets her and she fast forwards through a life, uh, a married life with a guy named Lee and, uh, and a couple of kids. Um, but slowly she realizes this isn't real with the help of Miss Evangelista was one of the other archaeologist people who was uh, eaten already and inserted into the computer. And uh, the doctor realizes that there's a whole bunch of people in the library stuck, saved in the computer, and he gets them out, but he has to boost the energy. And uh, there's a problem with Bachelorado, so he has to, you know, jump in and sort of sacrifice himself. But at the last minute, River says, no, this is my job. You know, uh, spoilers, you're going to remember me. And, and she basically reveals that she knows his name, or that's what we assume she whispers. Anyway, she dies. All the people come back. Uh, the Doctor and Donna leave just before we see that Lee was actually one of the people uh, who was stuck, one of the 4,000 people who was stuck and returned from the library. Meanwhile, River is in the computer and library. Time. Nice. <sighs> you got it. Oh. Well okay. done, sir. Oh, I need a breather. <laughs> that was a tough one. Yeah, it's a little twistier at the end than you think. You it know, really like... is. I didn't know I was going to get to the coda of River being stuck in the computer. Uh, yeah. The unexpected Ooh. coda. I got to say, it's yeah. one of the few times that it you, you really are fooled into thinking it's over. And mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't the second time, but I remember I, when I, as I was watching it, I remember feeling like, no, thinking it was done. Mm-hmm. And then there's that just that great little voiceover with uh, Alex Kingston and David Tennant. You see him running back at the at the end of that voiceover, and it's like, boom! And it's like, oh wow, you know. And it sort of ends on a much higher note than uh, otherwise would have. It does, and I'd totally forgotten that before this rewatch. I'd forgotten mm. that River ends up in the computer for all eternity. Mm. Um, which might be a nice. <laughs> how did I forget? I don't know. It just there's a lot of Doctor Who. There's yeah. a lot to keep in your brain at one time. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just sort of thought that I remembered that was River's death. That's my shorthand for silence in the library. Well, uh, for us tonight, I will say the the death hits harder, and mm-hmm. everything else hits harder. And the the sort of final coda where she's in the computer, you're like, oh, okay, that's that's better. I mean, she's not resurrected perfectly. And I think because of that, it doesn't quite stick with you like Mm -hmm. that fantastic uh, zoom in shot on David Tennant with him in the handcuff at the end Mm -hmm. there. And he's just so distraught and and sad that 
this happened because this person clearly meant so much. Like it's such a such an interesting feeling. You you really get in the head of the character there. Like he cares so much for any innocent, but he 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 knows he should care more here, and he does. But he 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 doesn't have that depth that she had with him. So the the it loss is very yeah, yeah. It's just he just you're just lost in a sense. Um, yeah, it stuns him into silence in the library. And uh, it also, it kind of makes an interesting pair with the next episode chronologically, which we've already been to, which is Midnight, which is another story in which Ten is stunned into silence. Yeah. Basically, his voice literally taken away from him uh, by the creature on the the Crusader bus. Um, Well, if you think about it, that what happens in that episode, this isn't quite the perfect mirror, because I know they sort of wrote midnight to be more of a mirror to a uh, voyage of the damned. Mm. Um, but this one, um, is similarly constructed in that the doctor comes in and sort of takes command. Yeah. Um, these sort of hapless people, except for river are in these spacesuits, and they, they do pretty quickly start deferring to him. Even the, the, the jerk person, the, the jerk wad dude who, uh, is trying to get them to sign contracts, and uh, it seems like this profiteer. But again, there's a neat little twist that I, I actually forgot about this. Yes, that he actually turns out to be kind of a, an okay guy. Yeah, um, Strachman Lux, played by Steve Pemberton, who's the third of the, I guess, chronologically the second of the League of Gentlemen comedy troupe uh, to appear. He was with Reese Shearsmith and. Um, oh God, why am I blanking on his name? Co-wrote Sherlock. Oh, Reese Sears. He was on, he was from, uh, Sleep No More. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. So he's in Sleep okay. No More. And... Sorry, I'm not a League of Gentlemen aficionado. I'm going <laughs> yes, let you. It's, it's, it's a very British name. Uh, but then also, oh God, I, I'm so embarrassed that I'm blanking on his name. He was nearly a showrunner. He is a co-wrote showrunner of Sherlock. Help me out, Pete. We'll uh, we'll fix this in post. Uh, we'll call him. We'll call him uh, Watson. <laughs> I'm, <he's... laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, let, let's let, let me stall for time while I remember his name by by telling you that we're about to talk about the last scene ever in Doctor Who, which right. is a very exciting discovery that was made recently. Well, this is this sort of some background stuff. So you're talking mm-hmm. about Doctor Moon, right? Mm-hmm. Which I thought was was interesting, and it's like it's one of these things that's. You almost the the dialogue you don't quite catch it right in that um, they call it the the dude says Lux uh, yes. we just said his name I forgot his first name now but he says like this is it's a Doctor Moon it's not a real moon it's like an antivirus program that sort yes. of protects the hard drive and that's all good but you're kind of like well wait why why would you call it Doctor um, because I mean I get it the 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 thing but it's like as a choice in the show, it's weird because it's a little confusing for the viewer. Cause now you have mm. to kind of like sort out they're Oh, they're talking about the moon, Dr. Moon, not the doctor. So why even introduce that weird variable? And the answer yeah. is, it turns out there's an answer, by the way, Mark Gattis is the, is the answer to oh, the previous yeah. question. I'm so sorry, Mark. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we love Mark. such an integral part of New Who, and yeah. I totally forgot his name. We love him, even though we don't uh, love all of his work. But we do <laughs> love him. He's a great dude. <laughs> yes, and we've you know we've, we've talked about it before. We shall talk about it again. Um, but yes, in 2020, new information was revealed about Science of the Library 
um, by wow, Russell T. Recent. Davis and uh, Stephen Moffat, who interviewed each other in Doctor Who magazine. By the way, can I just say that the friendship between Moffat and Davies is, is first of all, it's a very real thing. Secondly, it's it's one of those things that sustains you and keeps you going, or uh, me, certainly as a Who fan, through the pandemic, is that they're their friendship on Instagram, like anytime one of them posts an Instagram, I have to go into the comments because I know the other one will have commented first and there'll be some mm-hmm. hilarious comedy back and forth. They have just have such a great patter. And it was such a good idea in 2020 when Doctor Who magazine got them to interview each other. And I'm just to to capture the enormity of what they discussed uh, and the, the full context for it. And the fact that you you understand this isn't something that's planned for the series. It's only Stephen Moffat's headcanon. Um, right. Let me just read out the entire extract. So Russell says to Stephen, I've thought about this for years. When we were making Silence in the Library, you once told me the very last scene ever of Doctor Who. Does it still stand? Stephen responds, no memory of this. Went back through my emails and found it. This is from when we were shooting those shows. And here's the quote from the email. In my head, and only in my head, this will probably never appear on screen or be confirmed in any way, River's not just his wife, she's his widow. Somewhere in the terrible future, on a battlefield, the 45th Doctor dies in her arms and makes her the same promise she once made him. It's not over for you, you'll see me again. So River Mm. buries her husband and off she goes to have lots of adventures with his younger selves and confuse the hell out of them. Until, of course, she Uh ends up in the data core of the library planet, realizes she'll never see him again. And then she starts to wonder why anyone would call a moon doctor. Ah. Um, Mm. And then Stephen, present day Stephen adds, yeah, some version of that could still work. The doctor worrying she'll get lonely inside the library and popping his dying mind inside a moon. God, look at those words. I actually typed those words. And Russell says, <laughs> I can't believe you didn't remember. I've never forgotten that Dr. Moon thing. It's so clever. Every time I watch that story, I think it's him, it's the doctor, and no one knows. So, Colin Salmon, who plays wow. Dr. Moon, is the doctor. This is like sort new information. I didn't, I didn't read this interview. This is new information <laughs> for me, and it's blowing my mind. I mean, like, okay, so... I like, I, we got to talk about this. So like, if yes. he's the doctor, like he's so doctory, you know what I mean? Like it makes sense. He kind of like, is. I really like that he's this reassuring, calming thing for a child, yes. uh, which makes total sense. And then he, he the, the, the one of the best bits, I mean, there's so many neat little twists in this whole thing, but mm. when he gets alone with the little girl and is like, actually, this is not real. And the library is real, which of course, as viewers, we all know, but like, that's why Dr. Moon really like wins you over. You sort of think, mm-hmm. Oh wow. This, he's this actually is, a nice this, guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. He's not like keeping her, um, docile and, uh, uh, fooled. He really wants to help and get her back in reality. So that's, and again, very doctorish thing. Like it just, it's winning you over. I like this. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Cause it, it does posit a sort of more calm, relaxed final version of the doctor. Mm-hmm. If that's him. Right, he's, he's seen it all by then. Doctor yeah, exactly. 45. He's kind of lost his kind of childish spark at that point, but he's still reassuring to children. I, I think that's a sort of a nice way for the Doctor to end up, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We, we do have to talk about what he does uh, to Donna, because basically he, you get the sense that he's somewhat complicit in the, the sort of the fake life that Donna lives. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, that And that's probably... Like it's it's a very in, well I wouldn't say it, 
it's a very well executed thread when mm-hmm. Donna is sort of living her fake life in the library hard drive. And it sort of bit by bit slowly aligns and, and reveals the whole um, plot of the story of this everyone being saved in the hard drive. And, you know, it's not, but it's not perfect because there's simply not enough space to, to, to simulate all of this. Um, so what with, I will say that that plot line sort of is emotionally um, satisfying. It's never quite, um, it's never quite as satisfying as I like because Donna really doesn't do anything once she re- realizes yeah. that the the illusion it's an illusion. She just kind of waits for it to break down and tries her best to kind of hang on to the things that she thinks matter to her. Um, have you um, no. have you watched One Division? Yes, yes, it's very One Division, isn't it? That that the scene with her with the kids very. in bed. Very much so. I, I do wonder if uh, One Division, which obviously came much later, was in any way inspired by that scene. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. And then when Doctor Moon, I, I sort of remember he's. I, I feel like that's almost like the Doctor Moon default is mm. that he has to make sure people are fully integrated immediately, um, or they maybe maybe they just end up failing. Like, like to preserve sort of the entire. Um, illusion he can't have like it, it's almost like the matrix right like yeah. if you if you're too rebellious you just like get shut down or it shuts down the whole thing and then but conversely the little girl who's obviously the center of it all and is the the computer is the one who really does need to know that this is um there's there's a reality beyond this one that she needs yeah. to take an active part in fixing um so i i guess i would justify it that way and why but dr moon sort of is sort of does an about face in part two again to sort of his his quote-unquote evil ways well it's it's also interesting in part two that there's a moment where dr moon disappears and is replaced by the doctor right the hologram of the doctor and then tries to cover it up with uh he says something like you know mrs smith's pie or whatever when when will i ever learn right um right. so that's that's a bit weird that he's kind of gaslighting donna about appearing as himself, if if he is the Doctor, or if he was thought of as a future Doctor in this in this writing process. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, I think this leads me into something I want to say, maybe a little controversial, but I think that on a rewatch, I like Forest of the Dead better hmm. than Silence in the Library. And Explain. It is because of the power of that. The, the, the two stories, uh, on, on paper, it shouldn't work, right? How much Moffat is mashing into this. Hmm. So many elements to it. There's River Song. There's the archaeologists in general, the archaeologist group in general, the Yvashtra um, Narada. You know, we talk about whether or not they work. Um, there's the there's Cal sitting inside the computer. There's the the library itself as a concept. All of this stuff being mashed together and squeezed into two episodes. And uh, we know that when Moffat, we know now from bitter experience, when Moffat does this, it doesn't always work. Right. It's he gets too Moffaty. We call it. You know, he's he's become a, a verb. It's you know, or an adjective, I guess, to, to moff it about. Um, right. <laughs> and he, uh, yeah, but here it totally works. It totally works. Yeah. And you, you could lose maybe one of these elements. Uh, we can talk about which one that is, but it, it wouldn't quite work as the whole. But one of the elements that really spoke to me this time, and, and I sort of remember kind of holding a candle for, um, is is the, the whole sort of poignant uh, fast-forward uh, life that Donna lives, 
yeah in the computer and the fact that there's this 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 sort of thing that the way that it proceeds by dream logic you know uh oh i thought of being outside and i was outside i thought of going down to the river and i was down by the river that is super creepy yes i think yeah. and and kind of as as you get older and you know part of what we're doing here is re-watching doctor who at at older ages as one tends to and and seeing different things and life sort of starts to seem like that right life yeah. does start to feel a bit fast forward and 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 like we could just sort of the days just become a few scenes you think about going to bed and then suddenly you're in your pajamas um well, even but, sort of the repetition of certain things, like when all the yeah. kids are the same, which again is mm. another scary reveal. And again, just, another Moffaty element that sort of <laughs> squeezed yeah. in there. And it's like the um, he he really puts in lots of those worlds, those, those clues. The world isn't real. Mm. You're in the Matrix creepiness, um, and it all really works. I mean, it's one of the, it's almost like one of those challenges. How do you make something really frightening? and creepy without all the without virtually any trope of like mm. you know jump scares or scary gross monsters it's no it's everyday stuff it's just it's he writes it in a way that is like yeah. makes it all terrifying um, and then uh, in in amongst this all we realize that we've not just been watching a a doctor romance or so it seems in retrospect uh, but also a donna romance as well yeah because of because of poor lee and because of the fact that the, that reveal right at the end where he is one of the people in the library she she could have been with him forever and not had her memory wiped had she just found him and maybe settled down on whatever planet he came from yeah i gotta say that's one of the most memorable guest shots of doctor who and he has so few lines Mm. Uh, again, this this is sort of a almost a show that breaks many rules and yet gets away with it and makes it even better. Like he he is very few lines, but he's he's a very um, you know he's got he's he's a he's a good looking bloke as as uh, Donna even says. And he is. He, and, but, and the stutter really makes his character, is it? Which is odd. It's like and, that and detail. Actor, um, mm. I have to find his name, but he he Jason rises Pitts. to the Jason Pitts. He rises to the challenge. Um, with his facial expressions, like mm. you, know, you just see that moment where they're sort of saying goodbye to each other as the reality is is disappearing around them. And I gotta mm. say, like I I was right, I'm right with you in that Forest of the Dead. Now feels like the stronger episode because, and it's you know it's hard to judge it on its own, but because some of the emotional beats are teed up throughout the whole thing, but mm. they really pay off. And I was actually getting pretty choked up. Yeah, at, at that moment and various others, like I was like, "Wow!" Like, and man, I got to say, like, this is probably I, I can't wait till our Catherine Tate. Like, wow! Like, mm. like I I think this is her best performance in the whole her whole run. I mean, seriously, when when she's crying uh, for Miss Evangelista, mm. like, which apparently was was padding. <laughs> like that was like the script <laughs> editing. Like the, the episode was too short, so so Moffat wrote more lines and more interaction there when her her memory echo is is sort of fading um she turns it on and you're just like oh man the anguish uh later with her kids and then saying goodbye to the guy um and even those quieter moments like at the very end when um you know she's like is being when time lords say they're all right is that mean really not all right you know like yes just really Ugh. everything just really is delivered perfectly like i cannot say enough about that performance wow I mean, there are times when Moffat writes a character with with such uh, finesse and such, you know, and it's sort of a background character would be a background character in any other Doctor Who story. 
that you know you're just like wow this is like a masterclass. I think of Billy Shipton in uh, in Blink, mm. who's only in yeah. it for five minutes, and yet he's a fully realized character. Um, and you miss him, and you feel sad. You feel you get jo- I get choked up every time he's old and in the hospital bed and yeah. dying. Um, it totally works. And the same here with with Lee is just you, you're just like oh my god, you know the the struggle of that guy. You instantly fill in the blanks of the struggle of his whole life with stuttering, um, and and just not being able to get the name of Donna out, but clearly being sweet on her. And she's like, what am I going to do with you? And then the instant mm. cuts to her in the wedding dress. By the way. Uh, same wedding dresses from the runaway bride right um, yeah nice and detail. as as he takes her over the uh threshold of their new house and is still stuttering but it's it just you fill in all the blanks of this great romance that happened in between and then to learn in retrospect that none of those blanks happened that they were as blank in donna's mind as that she was filling in the blanks herself basically right yeah, uh, I mean, it just piles on the poignancy, and it all feels earned, and it's written so quickly. And then when you when you see him again at the end, I, I just i I didn't remember that that he's there again on the on the teleport at the end. So that, that extra gut punch, but it's sort mm-hmm. of even more of an extra gut punch when you know that the fans aren't going to really be talking about this because the Doctor and River have sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Right, right. Yeah. Um,. Yeah, yeah, speaking of sucking, that's a, a good description of because they do sort of suck the oxygen out of the room in terms of what this relationship is. But I, I, I love that the doctor and River in their first meeting, and um, you know, it's well, just honestly, I should take a step back, which is like, yeah, we're coming at this relationship now, the doctor and River song on this rewatch, knowing the whole story now, right? Like, we now we know, <laughs> like, oh you know everything that happens um even even the lead up to this episode which i think we get into at some point (laughs) but uh i i came away liking her a little more and i'm I'm a little bit ashamed to say that i guess because the first time around i feel like as a proxy for the doctor the audience is annoyed with her a little bit that she knows Mm. so much and you're kind of like why are you trying to be doctorish and assert when when the, that's sort of the doctor's job, and now this time I feel like, oh wow, this I, I'm having more fun watching them be effectively rivals. Yes, like, uh, and the oxygen out of the room analogy is good because it's like the doctor is usually the one to do that, and this other person's <laughs> now in his space of like, lady, I'm the one who's supposed to be telling everyone what to do, and <laughs> it's not quite as overt, but that's that's a, the effect here. So. Uh, and then and she, she pull she, out screwdrivers at one point, which I yes. think is a perfect analogy for all yeah. of that. And you, you really kind of almost get the impression she's just, oh, 
this is so cute when he does this. You know, yeah. you kind of like let go ahead, let him let him lead us. It's going to be great. <laughs> they they really lean into that later in Alex Kingston's tenure, right? That the moments where she has the drop on the Doctor in terms of knowing everything that's happened, and the glee in her face when she says spoilers. Yeah, it's sort of the the kindling of it is just beginning here. Um, but let's just pause and say, wow. Let, let us, I, I would like to stand up and give a standing ovation in my mind for Stephen Moffat for basically planning. I mean, I know it wasn't planned and we didn't know if Alex Kingston would ever appear in Doctor Who again. Even he didn't know if he was going to ever get to continue the story of River Song. But he got the opportunity. He did it. He saw it through. There are, I've counted them, 10, 10 or 11 episodes where river song appears mm-hmm. you know and they and they tell a full story and the one moment in forest of the dead where i i got chills was where she's she's about to die and she says the last time i sh- saw you you showed up with a new suit and a new haircut right. uh and uh we had wonderful one wonderful glorious last night with the singing towers uh derillium and i realized now you were saying goodbye and for that to actually be realized, you right, know, right. two doctors later, it is extraordinary. I mean, what an achievement, even if partly accidental, but what an achievement. And you've got to think, well, I, I think, first of all, um, we should say that Kate Winslet was was the first choice right. for the role of River Song. Uh, Kate she, Winslet is kind of busy. It? Yeah, she, she couldn't. Yeah, she's in a lot of movies and stuff. And you think that <laughs> maybe it's a kind of good thing that she didn't make it this once because I don't see it, yeah. Kate Winslet appearing again and again in, in in this way to finish the story. And it would have just been sort of this embarrassing appendix that it was never finished in the history of Doctor Who. But right, every element to... that she says, mm-hmm. she it so looks like pre-planning now, right? She talks about the crash of Byzantium. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that's. And, um... and Flesh and stone, and yes. Uh, uh, what's the other one? Time, time, time of, of the angels. angels? Yeah. Yes. Anyway, it's the next season. It's the first yeah. season. Matt Smith. Yeah, and it's yep. interesting. A uh, side note that I've sort of I, I'm always plotting out in my mind the best episodes to make a beginner watch to hook them into Doctor Who immediately. And I mm-hmm. I still think Blink is is a great place to start because one of the strongest stories in Doctor Who. It's Doctor Light and a kind of a great standalone. Then, but now I'm thinking. Then go to Silence the Library, Forest of the Dead. Then go to Eleventh right. Hour, and then um, you know Time of Angels, because mm-hmm. then then you would have the collision of the two things that would produce a hook in the in the beginner's mind: the Weeping Angels and River Song. That's not uh, bad. That's your crash course. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then 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 they're hooked. Right, those those first episodes are free, and then you you charge them. Hmm. <laughs> Send so them the, the rest. There's a lot here that implies that river is the doctor's wife yes in the future there's there's so many things um everything from but the less handcuffs. than you'd think the, yeah. the, the handcuffs i mean that, that just implies that they've had a relationship of some sort wow. or maybe that moffat's being a bit <laughs> you could get away with it because you we, we forget and it's kind of clearer on a rewatch we forget that it was not said explicitly mm-hmm. and there were other possible interpretations right sure she was and there was i was i was actually listening to the commentary and um moffat tenant and uh is it julie gardner i think is one of the yeah. producers was mm-hmm. were were chatting about it uh by the way julie awesome at getting stuff out of the other two I'll say that she was like <laughs> i mean i'll give her a live my 
private journalist license because she was yeah. a great interviewer. Essentially, Doctor D credits her with persuading him to do it in the first place, so there would be no new who without Julie Gardner. Oh, nice. good, all respect. Good, good tidbit. Mm. But um, she uh, and those guys basically like when um, David Tennant. What because he wasn't told, right? Like he yeah. just had the script to go on and, and certainly Moffat Moffat even says in the commentary, because he recorded it at the time and he says, I know who she is, but I can't reveal it. Obviously mm-hmm. ended up revealing it as we just talked about. But um the tenant thought it was actually she was actually a future doctor. Yes. You know, and well, at least he I, I think he, he knew that that's probably not what it was, but it was what he used as a placeholder in his mind to mm-hmm. act against. Yeah, right? that makes a lot of sense. And it does work because he's got to act against her pulling out the diary that is, tard- you know, the TARDIS binding on the diary, the sonic screwdriver. These, these are things that he actually has to react to. So it does make a lot of sense for those purposes. You almost think he's saving himself at the end there, mm. <laughs> his own memory. But it's like he thinks about, I guess, what he would do and putting the the, the little memory thing in the, the, the screwdriver. And in my mind, as he did that, like, I feel like, oh, not only is it, um, one of those memory things, it's probably enhanced with better technology because it's, you know, it's Time Lord technology and maybe he could get a more complete um, version of that person. So in my mind, like River Song is there in the library to be taken out whenever they want. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so if they wanted to, they could maybe, I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, anyone could write that. But I also do feel That's like true. the finality of it is you kind of maybe mess with that story a little too much in terms of not this story, but the story of the doctor and river and this being, yeah, we've had is her first appearance by his perspective is her last appearance. Um, We've, we've had just the right amount of river endings or apparent river endings. Now I think you you don't want to bring her back at this stage because uh, name of the doctor was, was kind of an ending. Mm -hmm. It was kind of her, her last hurrah with Matt Smith, you know, and she kind of appears as a, invisible uh presence in that um and then weddings of river song is the true ending right Right. that really can't top that it's got the singing towers it's got the reveal of the the last night being 24 years such a good not all okay it's got not all yes listen this is a good time to nitpick for a second so and again we love to nitpick. With all the throat clearing we've just done, hats off to Stephen Moffat for coming up with this, seeing it through, and doing so much great stuff with it. Mm. Uh, all that said, why why does she not like? Given what happened in the weddings of River Song, why does she not know that this is probably her end? You know, like especially if it's um, her first encounter, like like he doesn't know her. You know, it's almost like she should know right, right then and there. Like, oh man. Like what happens to me? Uh, mm. Even if she didn't know already, because I I have to rewatch Weddings of Ever Song. It's been a while, but I yeah, feel what, like what are you thinking of? They, they go in like once she does the Towers of Delirium, she knows. Uh, is she sad because she thinks she's going to die or never see him again? Like I don't. I, I feel like I, she, it, it's, it, because of what happened later. She should earlier on in this story kind of know she's going to die. Oh, are we think. Oh, we're talking about the husbands of River Song. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Husbands, yeah. not wedding. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I got confused. I because yeah, husbands. I have seen more recently. Uh, no, I th- I did talk. I talked about this with my wife, who has uh, watched them all a lot, and she says no, he doesn't. In in Husbands of River Song, he doesn't 
reveal anything about the Sing Taz Derillium. It's just in his head, and he's just sad. And it actually fulfills what she says about the the new haircut and the suit and and everything. Um, but I mean, does she? Maybe I maybe I read too much into it then because like I was probably bringing what I knew about this mm-hmm. episode. But she seems very sad, and I guess it's because she realizes: is it the last time she's going to see him? Like, I'm not. I don't know. I have to mm. watch it again. So anyway, maybe maybe that is is covered, and maybe it's a stretch. The other thing, though, is that this apparently is the only time, um, at least on screen, and we can get into some big finish stuff, I guess. But the only time River Song encounters the Tenth Doctor. Yes, and outside of other stories yeah so then why like again why is she confused about how little he knows Mm. you know like i feel like it's like oh wait she should know it's someone she's never seen before and are we that or have we done the byzantium tower or whatever um and she should know that like well wait a minute have we done the crash of the byzantium yet yes she should know that yeah um just maybe, weird. Maybe her memory isn't so good at this point, right? You know, like because she's had a lot of adventures with them, so maybe she's and, she maybe she's sort of lost track of wait, which mm. doctor is this? Is this between Matt or and someone else? Like maybe she thinks he's a later later incarnation from Matt. Yeah. Well, we don't have to rely on Big Finish for Riving, River having at least seen all the other doctors because we right. know from the Husbands of River Song she has that wallet with all of his faces in it right. up until Peter Capaldi. Uh, so Peter Capaldi, she certainly doesn't know uh, until that one meeting. Uh, so maybe it is the same with Tennant, or maybe she's seen pictures of Tennant. I don't know. I mean, obviously in, in the real world, this happened because uh, Moffat was thinking in, in the unlikely event that I get to finish the river song story. Um, let's just assume that it's David Tennant's doctor because we have right. that line where she's like, you look so young or your eyes look so young. I forget exactly what she says. Um, but clearly that only works if she sees Tennant's doctor again. And I, yeah. I remember kind of feeling that when we start to see her in Matt Smith's run, first of all, there's that sort of visceral thing of like, aren't, aren't you guys, there's a bit of an age gap between you guys. <laughs> aren't you cradle robbing their river? Um, uh, so it's it, that makes it especially weird that uh, you know she kind of sees the tenant doctor as younger than the Matt Smith doctor. But maybe this is a reason the randomizer brought us here because we just looked in closing time. At, we we just talked about how old Matt Smith's eyes are, mm, exactly the sort of sense of age that he brings to that. So maybe in a way Matt Smith does look older than David Tennant. Yeah, I think you. I think you have to kind of stretch it into that zone for it to mm-hmm. make sense. And I, I don't like relying on Big Finish either. And honestly, I haven't. I haven't listened to it, so I don't really know what happens. But maybe they've explained a way how she could. I don't know if she's encountered earlier doctors or whatever. But mm-hmm. obviously, she does, uh, yeah. unless there's like memory wipes, and maybe there is. Like, why would Tenet not know who, who she is at all if that if that happens? Um, no, no, it's all timey wimey. Again, I like all these adventures. I want them to happen regardless. I'm not trying to nix anything. I'm just like, you, you can uh, do it. You just got to explain it. And I'll, I'm so willing to go with you. And this is actually, uh, I will say, the commentary is worth listening to because, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's relevant to what you were saying about Davies and Moffat and their relationship. 
Davies kept, I feel like Davies kept Moffat honest because Moffat mm. gives Davies credit in the commentary for those lines of dialogue that, oh, I, if I'm contradicting something from eons ago, I got to at least put a line in. Yeah. You know, and Davies was amazing at that. Um, and Moffat less so as <laughs> <laughs> increasingly uh, less so. Yeah. But this is obviously a Moffat story in the Davies era. Mm. Um, and so I, again, I think to, to your point about Moffat and where he ended up going with Dr. Who, I think at this time he's, he's probably, um, I wouldn't say less ambitious, but he's very like, um, more grounded, I think. And, and sort of going from a little more from Davies playbook and you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. here. if you look at all of Moffat's stuff during Davies tenure, Blink, um, the empty child, Dr. Dances, this adventure, like they're all just really tightly plotted stories and they uh, have a lot of respect for sort of the rest of Doctor Who. Uh, And they're such great just Doctor Who stories. That's one of the great things about this one. I mean, I feel like it is just so Doctor Who. I mean, there's a mystery. um, There's this big sci-fi concept of a planetary library, which isn't just um, interesting for its scale. I Mm. loved the Doctor's line uh, people never stop loving books, which yes. is just so reassuring. I think to everybody. I mean, I don't know the if there's... smell of books. He talks about the smell. You yeah. need the smell. I mean, you don't like. I, I really don't think there's that many people on Earth who are like, I want to see everything in a Kindle uh, forever. <laughs> like, Kindles are good. I own a Kindle. They're fine. But mm-hmm. people just love books, and it's like, yes, this feels right. This feels like a thing that would happen thousands of years from now, that you would have a planetary library. That that just seemed very real. I'm, I'm, I'm sure if there you've are. Got, yeah. got a lot of planets kicking around. Why might not make one an entire library? Yeah. And so it's like, it's got all this stuff. It's got great Moffat dialogue. Hmm. Uh, the monster, we'll talk about that in a bit, but like a really a good monster that takes, you know, the Doctor Who thing of the everyday object or thing in your life that's suddenly homicidal. <laughs> so <laughs> shadows could kill you now and it's like yeah. sometimes that doesn't work so well you know but sometimes it does i mean uh this is one of the cases where i think it really works um even there are even if there are some some maybe some issues with it. so i mean like i say i mean it's just a very good like he really gets doctor who and he's mm-hmm. really passionate about the things he's creating for it and for whatever you know issues i might have with moffat and what he did when he was showrunner like i got i have mad respect for him as a doctor who fan yeah, who who can craft amazing stories? I think I think you're absolutely right that it is the the connection between the two of them that produces great Doctor. Because whenever they did it together, they knocked it out of the park. Mm. Right? Am, am I misrem- am I misremembering anything? Like was was there aid any? There was no bad Moffat episode in the Davies era. Not that I, I mean, no. <laughs> I'd have just to look it up. But the girl in the fireplace. There's another one. You know? Yeah. Like the. Two of them created magic together. It's Beatles esque, the John and Paul. Well, we know uh, what we're doing now. We're starting the campaign. I mean, Davies <laughs> hasn't even started his new run yet. I mean, the two of them would just be yeah. unstoppable. Oh, my goodness. And then, you know, we can start the wish list for who they would choose as their joint doctor. But my God, yeah. that would be, we'd be entering the Sergeant Pepper's era of Doctor Who if that ever happened. So, yeah, come on, guys, get it together for the good of human culture and history. You need, you need to do this. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly Moffat is super strong when he does these two-parters. Um, he has enough room to stretch out. He has enough mm. time. 
to put in that Davies-esque stuff to make things. He doesn't just hand wave, you know, it's almost yeah. like I've got too much time. I can't just hand wave. I've got to use this time. Um, and well, one, one thing we're about here in, in uh, Pull to Open, I just I just want to close the loop on any concerns with River's timeline, the timey-wimeyness of it, remembering the doctor, the doctor forgetting her, which is just remember that she's, she's part, she's, part time lord she's a little time lord-esque right. having been born in the tardis we know this from season season six so the timey wiminess of that factor which we've never seen anywhere else in doctor who can explain almost anything right so like the tardis is on her side the tardis is making the doctor forget previous times he's met her the tardis likes her uh knows that the doctor needs reining in uh you know kind of almost gives her her blessing as as the doctor's true wife to be the doctor's mm-hmm. in-person wife uh the fact that river knows to fly the tardis uh better than the doctor doesn't leave the handbrake mm-hmm. on uh we, we know this fact um i love that line by the way still one of my favorite all-time lines of doctor who. yeah um and uh yeah so that explains anything away she she's she's buds with the tardis she's part tardis uh that that explains memory wipes it explains you know whatever you need to explain away well, just one bring of the, in the things TARDIS. i really liked um was the callback with the square gun mm. that that lets them get away from the vastra once or twice but put, put carving squares and things with squareness gun yeah. I, I always sort of thought of it as a callback what's it's actually according to, to moffat the actual gun Right, because mm. this was uh, Jack Harkness's gun from way back yes. in his other ad- adventure, uh, the uh, Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, and it was it was a clever kind of almost piece of geometry that they threw. Like it's a distinctive, memorable thing. Mm. And mm-hmm. but in Moffat's mind, of course, Jack becomes a companion. Where does that gun end up? It ends up at the TARDIS uh, at some point. River, who's traveled in the TARDIS plenty, picks up the gun and. Mm takes it with her in her career in archaeology comes in handy uh and apparently came in handy here so it is the exact same gun that jack had which that's really cool i love i love the squareness gun and i would like to see more of it i would like to see it return again we mm-hmm. need more squareness but there is kind of like almost a bit of a nitpick i could go at on the doctor's sonic screwdriver doing mm-hmm. it for a mm-hmm. second uh where it is in like the the two Vashta Narada are coming at him and he uses his screwdriver to square out the hatch under him which is a cool little escape but it's like if the screwdriver can do that why does it only do it now right like you know (laughs) he's never done that before so um maybe because it's around the squareness gun we got to explain Mm. this away somehow that is a a scene with a lot of nitpicks in it uh the other one being that dave is eaten by the and we don't even see why we don't even see him with an extra shadow but suddenly the doctor is surrounded by a vashnarada astronaut suits Right. I mean, you, uh, I think you just it's suddenly kind of cheating a bit to just kind of have the other guy killed in the background. Yeah, he doesn't even get the two shadows for a minute or any mm-hmm. sort of foreshadowing there. Um, uh, hey. I mean, you could, that one's easy to explain because it's just like, well, maybe there was a higher concentration of them there, and they felt more confident about hunting quicker. But I feel us backsliding into a bit of an analysis on the Vastra Narada, where. Again, I, I high praise for the concept, um, and it's well done. Mm. I would say eighty. Well, I'd say it's about eighty to ninety percent there. The the thing yeah. that doesn't make sense to me 
is that they they have literally no defense against these things. Like they're pretty yeah. much at their mercy. They're, and they're invisible piranhas who particularly like chicken. Yeah, and apparently that they, they didn't also need the extra line of their shadows, but they're also the dust in the sunbeam. Like they're mm-hmm. kind of both, which is like, well, okay. <laughs> like you <laughs> like, didn't need that extra thing, but just well, trying to make you. kids scared of dust in sunbeams as well as everything else. Because yeah. that is a thing that you notice as a kid. But yeah, Moffat does sometimes try to pack too much. He does this in Blink as well. Like the one bad note in Blink is that it kind of extends it to the notion that all statues might be weeping angels. Oh yeah. And you final, can tell you're, yeah. you're like, oh, just uh, come on. You're just trying to layer on the fear for small kids who you're already scared witless. Like don't, don't just include an extra mundane thing to terrify the life out of us. Yeah, totally. Um, but here, I guess it's, it's like, it, it just, at some point you think, why don't the Vash just attack? Cause they can't do anything against yeah. them. Like, like, like there should have been something in the script where, uh, whatever it is, they can do something very minor physically to slow them down or confuse them or mm. something so that they can't just, because otherwise they're just kind of there and they have to run from them and they have to run from them and they have to, they can stand there for minutes and minutes with them in the room and for whatever reason be allowed to do that. Um, mm. It's it's just a little too, a little too convenient for me. It doesn't ruin the story. Uh, it, it, if they had done that, shown some way they were slowing them down, I think this this story would have been virtually perfect. The Vashnarada is, is a great idea for a monster. Um, and having them in shadows cast by other creatures makes sense. I think that's that's maybe how you fix it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then, then it becomes even creepier when you, you see the extra shadows. The, the problem with putting them in the library... Uh, by the way, it wasn't always given. It was there was an early version of this where Moffat was thinking of putting the Weeping Angels in the library before he wrote Blink. Right. Um, but if you're going to put them in the library, a library is just a place where you just inevitably have shadows everywhere all the time, right? So the, in all of these scenes, there are shadows of the of the book stacks, uh, and and just and there's a lot of time where characters are standing in those shadows, right? And you're like, well, well, hang on a minute, you know, let, let's get let's get the rules of this clear. You know, it's kind of like if the floor is lava, right. then you can't stand <laughs> on the floor at all. If shadows are the Vashnarada or potentially the Vashner Rider, don't stand in any shadows. Right, you got to be in the light all the yeah. time. Yeah, it's a problem. All the time. And, you know, again, this this sort of, it's it's kid game logic as it is sort of kid fear logic that we're talking about here. Uh, monsters in the shadows, monsters in the moats and the sunbeams. Um, but yeah, kid games have very, very clear rules. So so clean that up, Moffat. That Did said, the Vashner Rider are, are just really, they're kind of an all-time favorite, even though yeah. only appearing in one episode. They're one that you remember, Everyone remembers the name, and uh, we should give a shout out here to the 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 former band known as Chameleon Circuit from the 2010s, who had a, a song called "Count the Shadows" that I've recently been listening to again, and it's it's quite an earworm. And it's a song Available that gives on a shout Spotify, out. <laughs> exactly. where you might be listening to this podcast. <laughs> Check it out after this, but not before leaving us a review with a scarf. Indeed. How did you like the bit where Miss Evangelista is eaten? And they come in and they sort of don't seem to know that the skeleton is her. And yeah, that's weird. I found that weird. I found that like, why wouldn't you, why are you assuming there was a skeleton here? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty instantly overwritten by the fact that that is such an emotionally wrenching scene. Yeah. That Miss Evangelista is, 
kind of confessing her innermost uh, thoughts and worries about being seen as dumb and and all of this to to Donna, who she's had one connecting conversation with, and that was apparently enough to make mm-hmm. her the nice lady. And it just I I so my wife was watching with, with this with me again, and she she cried at two points uh one in each episode one and you know the second one we've yeah. been through it is is lee you know it's just so so wrenching for the reasons we've already discussed but the other one was miss evangelista because that that is such a scene that speaks to i think our, our, all of our fears of like how we're viewed behind our back you know yeah. um and our fears of not being good enough smart enough whatever whatever it is we're afraid of you know disapproval from the group well and also you you were also on the other side of that too because we've all had times where we were thinking unkind things or perhaps even perhaps even yeah. acting unkind to people who are really trying their best yeah. and it makes you feel a little bit of shame as well like you kind of think like oh i, I that's not okay and they shouldn't yeah. do that and it's set up because you are set up earlier in the episode to think that miss evangelista is a tits yeah and she's just this this go for this this drone for the the big boss and everyone else is laughing about how she accidentally went to the into the escape pod on the way there because mm, she thought it was the bathroom is that right and you're like yeah. oh you know and the first time you see that you're like oh what a ditz and then the second time you're like oh well hang on you know that's she's just she's just klutzy it's not her fault yeah. she's just kind of you know perhaps not not constructed the same way as you or I. She's maybe a little uh, today you might call it neurodivergent. Um, but, you mm. know that's not bad. She's still a human being. She still has these fears and and you know so that's such a great moment for for developing empathy. Uh, I think and certainly that's it's a great thing to show to kids to make them think twice about that sort of mean behavior. And luckily, she kind of has a happy ending, similar to, to mm. Rivers. Um, though she has a transitional period as a weirdly deformed face. In a, um, <laughs> do you think yeah. that CGI held up where she's revealed as the woman? You know, under the, I, the veil? I, I do think it does. Um, and honestly, like it does and it doesn't. It didn't in, even back in, when was this broadcast? 2009, 2000, 2008. I don't yeah. think it held up as an effect either now or then. I do think it holds up as a purposefully bad effect that mm. is unnerving that's weird and gets across the idea that this is the matrix and there's a glitch in the matrix you yes. know something's wrong here um so i also like you know it's one of those sort of checkoff's gun type things that you is revealed pretty early like if she's some weird mysterious person with a veil you got to see what's under there at some point mm-hmm. um so i'm glad they didn't make us wait too long because it's you know it's not the most satisfying thing and you're uh, right, because it is in a computer, it, it kind of excuses bad CGI. It's just that, you know, Cal is trying to save space mm-hmm. in the memory, especially for all these people. That's why she's also replicating the kids, which is another spooky scene. And that's what helps the Miss Evangelista reveal, right? It's that whole scene with the, you suddenly realize that all the kids in the playground are repeating um, mm-hmm. as a way to save space. That's a super creepy thing. Yeah, it all it all really works. Um, and yeah. I also sort of wrote off the not wrote off, but like it's, it makes sense that the time is skipping, and uh, because again, it's space, right? You can't mm. you can't give the whole experience, but you can give a simulation and at least keep people sort of docile while um, they're they figure out how to save everybody um, on the surface or whatever the computer thought it was waiting for, um, which Doctor Moon had to tell it to. Um, 
Indeed. Cal may be just a little bit of a step too far. I don't know. I guess I guess it resolves oh, yeah. the whole I completely forgot of... about it this time. And that like, yeah. oh Cal. And then it's just oh, it's just her initials. <laughs> and it does serve to make Mr. Lux a nice guy after all. So that everyone in this ends up being not only is everyone living, not only is everyone saved, you know, uh, but but also even the, the bad guy turns out to be really nice under it all because he's concerned about Cal. Well, that's the thing you could probably get rid of in terms of like yeah. things you could get rid of. And it's pretty much the same thing. Like it's probably one mystery too far because there's so many yeah. mysteries in this of like what happened to the people? Who's this girl? Um, you know, what's uh, what are these? What's the monster, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things. And then the Cal thing is just on top of it. And it's like, yeah, it comes together. It's a thing, but it's like it kind of unnecessary. I think the only reason it works is the number of times you see the word Cal crop up in scenes including some that are very easter eggy and you have to sort of pause just to see it uh written in in a few scenes but that's the only reason why we remember that cal is a thing that cal is a mystery Mm. that we're supposed to solve how did you like the the my doctor can open the tardis with a snap of his fingers (laughs) and then at the end of the episode he just does it did that sit well with you do you know what that reminded me of uh, the very existence of Mel, uh, <laughs> Mel, in in, in uh, Trial of a Time Lord. Okay, the Doctor ends up leaving uh, Trial of a Time Lord with with Mel, right, in the TARDIS, having not met her, right. Yet. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> it sort of that didn't sit well with me as a kid watching Trial of a Time Lord, and it it all you know that's where my brain went. I think in two thousand eight, as a, as now, of like, oh, this is another Mel moment, right? It's, it's, it's Mel like moment. Some... Wow, it's our new <laughs> segment on Pull to Open, everyone. We're identifying the Mel moment, the Mel moment where the Doctor suddenly has skipped ahead in time somehow to have an extra companion or have an extra capability of its TARDIS. Well, um, the Mel thing, I know that's been explained. I mean, it's all retcon. It was not right. part of the series, but there's, there's actually, it's really great. It's a couple of paragraphs in the discontinuity guide where it was like a brief history of Mel because presumably the Sixth Doctor takes this Mel, maybe goes adventuring with her, but then drops her off. <laughs> and then the, the earlier again. version of the Sixth Doctor picks her up yeah. And she already knows a lot about it. I mean, you know, it just becomes this thing. I mean, you could write it a few different ways, but it's timey-wimey yeah. inadvertently. You yes. know? Like, <laughs> and I think that was the problem is I was expecting it to be in Trial of Time Lord, and that would have made such a good payoff at the end. Hmm. Um, but they just didn't. They just skipped right over it. And it seemed to be lazy writing even then. Yeah. So in this case, I, it didn't quite sit well well with me. I just, it's it's... It's two hand. This is the big hand. If there is a hand wave in this, it's this, which is that, well, why would it suddenly do that unless there's some sort of magic involved? Like, I mean, you could write something, but I, I feel like what I got from River is that that's a thing he, he builds into the TARDIS at some point. You know, like he, he, like you got to actually do something. For that to work, I mean, I, I mean, this Maybe is this me is... as a guy who has installed tons of smart home stuff in my house. I would love to just think, <laughs> "Wow, I'd love my front door to open when I snap my fingers and just to happen when I get there." No, I've actually got to install a thing, and you can do it. You just got yeah. to like install some things. Let's have a post-credit scene where David Tennant is trying to work Alexa in the TARDIS <laughs> to try <laughs> make this a thing retroactively. But I, I refer you to my previous uh, spoiler coverage or uh, you know plot hole coverage 
of River Was Born in the TARDIS. Okay. Uh, the TARDIS is all time at once, experiences all time at once. So if River's born there and River sets this up later, then presumably it works. It's always worked. And the Doctor could have, from the very beginning, clicked his fingers right. to open his Time for- Type 40 TARDIS, which I, I would love actually a post credit scene where the Doctor realizes that. He's like, hang on, River set this up somehow. I could have always done it. You know, it's confirmed in some way. I've been carrying around a key for years. Um, <laughs> I could have done this all along. That sort of it kind of neuters thinking about Clara's threat in uh, yes. the uh, dark water, uh, death, dark and water. heaven. That's it. Yeah, uh, you know, like, like go Where ahead. She throws Come away all the keys. keys. I just got to snap. Do they do they deal with that, or is that another case of Moffat forgetting to throw in a sentence? Uh, it's another case of Moffat forgetting to throw in a sentence, yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can't be expected to remember everything, but I do like the idea of River installing a thing, and yep. it, it's it's retroactive, because just that's just how the TARDIS works, you know? It's like, yep. boom, now it, it always exactly. was there. Instantly. Yep. And I can go back and tell him, and boom. That's, and that's, maybe like she that just sort of... I also like the idea that maybe she retroactively inserted a handbrake into the TARDIS that the Doctor always had on, just just to mess with him. Ooh, like, <laughs> it's never actually off. a handbrake all these years. Yeah, yeah I feel I felt but, like that was a bit. Uh, we'll get to that episode at some point, but I, I do feel yes. like that was her kind of like speaking baby, if you know what I mean. Like it's uh, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. Yes, it's just saying things. I like it. Well, speaking of retroactive insertions, mm. it's time for our regular segment, which is very exciting this week. What happened to the Clara Splinter? Where is the Clara Splinter in this story? And the fact is that the Clara Splinter is in this story. Mm. Okay. It is that that is canon. If you watch the name of the Doctor, as I just I just rewatched the scene this morning, just to make sure of you. this. Uh, well, you know, as, as a journalist, you got to you got to chase this stuff down. You got you were kidding about that, that rewatch frequency. Anyway, go on. <laughs> exactly, and I do it sort of five minutes at a time. And here it was rewatching the end of uh, <clears throat> of Name of the Doctor. You see her in one of those scenes where she's splintered and and sent throughout time, looking at David Tennant from behind in a scene that is clearly supposed to be the location is clearly supposed to be the library. Ah. He's out on the balcony looking at the whole planet. I seem to make this work within the episode. Donna has to be off screen to to his side. Um, But he's just sort of gazing out in one of those scenes that he does looking at the whole library. Uh, And we see, we pull back and we see Clara was behind him behind a window the whole time. But what was she doing? We don't know. <laughs> How did he, just like, he save the episode? Just like everything in the in the Doctor Splinter stuff that appears, uh, the, the Clara Splinter stuff that appears in Name of the Doctor, like none of it she actually seems to be saving the Doctor. Hmm. She's just looking at him and screaming, Doctor. It's like sometimes he listens to me, sometimes he doesn't. Hmm. Well, there's one point where I think things were a little convenient um for yep. them which is that they they realize they got to go to the the core of the planet to actually reboot the computer or save the computer mm-hmm. and they just have that anti-grav platform just sort of is right there <laughs> so uh, i feel like whatever clara did was like had to do with either making sure that platform was active made sure or making sure they got back there specifically um, so maybe when they were running around from the Vashta Narada, 
she was pushing some bookshelves to make sure they they ended up in that specific place. Mm. Um, that's that's kind of where I'm going because then okay. because they, they absolutely needed to, to have a place where they could go all the way down to the core. And how would that even happen? I, maybe there's just a million of them, but uh, I don't know. But the, the whole place was failing, and this was the one platform that still worked. I love it because a lot of the, having rewatched Name of the Doctor and the, those particular scenes, uh, the, a lot of what Clara does seems to be involving going going vertically up or down or falling or protect, preventing trying to prevent the Doctor from falling. Hmm. So this is very much in line, you know, like vertical people mover. Yeah. Well, I also feel it. like that this is in one of those cases where I might out, I want to see the mini Clara adventure because it's like <laughs> she like to evade the Vashta Narada herself. Was was probably like honestly like the splinter probably got eaten, you yeah. know that would be kind of a neat little end where she has to do this. She's got to evade the shadows, but to sacrifice herself, she had to go where a bunch of them are, and then push a bookshelf. And that you know at the very end of it, she's just she's just consumed. Yeah, yeah, Poor yeah. Clara and maybe splinter. she also <laughs> maybe she also retroactively adds that ability to uh, create a, a door below the sonic. Right. Uh, well, there you go. The doctor. That's yeah. not bad. Or maybe maybe he he didn't do it, and she just kind of carved it. She she's yeah. there with a saw. It's like, oh <laughs> oh, doctor. An hour earlier. Jeez. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, that was a very uh, wily coyote moment, by the way. I was like, <laughs> it I was thinking of Daffy Duck, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it has that cartoonish feel to it. Yeah. Um, wow. So okay. so we've dealt with the Clara Splinter. We did. This is great. We're, we're having a very efficient uh, discussion of this entire show, which I love. Uh, what, what else about, do we have? What if the, the evil, evil plot, plot had succeeded? What What is the evil plot here? Well, yeah, it, this is. There is no evil plot other than if you call the Vashnarada evil, and how could you? They're just little piranhas. They're just. <laughs> they're not evil. They're just doing what nature intended. They're just they're just hungry. They're monsters. Um, is there is there any other evil in this episode? There isn't. Not really. I don't think so. Doctor Moon's good too. Everyone's just trying to okay, save I the mean, people. He's he's a little bit gaslighty, um, yeah. but may, even, maybe we're asking. Even the the Lux guy um, is yeah. is actually not evil, um, and so if his yeah. plot succeeds, they just get to this end sooner. I think so you kind of you kind of have to go with you kind of have Narada. to go with Narada and like what if well what if they don't surrender. Because I did feel like in that moment, this is, it's a very mm. Moffaty moment, and it might even be the first of these Moffaty moments where the doctor, you know, gets his chest out and gets very, I am the the doctor, look me up, I am. Look me up. You know, I love it. It, it was cool. And, but it's one of those moments where he's like, he's going purely on reputation, whether he's yelling yeah. at a spacecraft or these shadows or whatever. That is. You're right. That's such a Moffaty thing. The Doctor basically d- does a lot of "Don't you know who I am?" Yeah, which is <laughs> yeah. And so something we have to do sometimes as journalists. So it's kind of obnoxious when you have to do it. Uh, <laughs> the Doctor definitely but... got more obnoxious doing it. And I will say, again, I got to give Moffat credit. He got pretty self-aware about it because I really mm. liked one of the lines at the end of season series six where uh, Matt Smith is like, "You know, I got too big. I got too too big for my my reputation." You know. Uh, I've got to, I've got to pull it back. I got to go back to lower stakes. So he was very self-aware about it. But in this case, he says it. What if they're like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> like, what does he do? Like, he says, like, <laughs> I'm going to do something to you. Well, why not? If you're just a skeleton, dude. Bye, bye. Yeah. 
Or also, what if they didn't have? I mean, how do they look them up? How do yeah. shadow piranhas use a, a Wikipedia? You know? Yeah, just, I mean, there you really have to stretch it because then I guess it's the little thingy in their suit yeah. that I guess has some Wi-Fi, uh, <laughs> and they're just like, oh, oh, okay, I guess it's yeah. mentioned here and there. Google, Google the doctor. I kind of want to insert uh, Peter Capaldi's voice at that point, saying, "Google it." Yeah. So what if they just say, "Well, I'm, I'm not. We're not impressed," and they eat him? Yeah. Do they eat all his regenerations? Uh, I, would you even regenerate if you're just a skeleton? I mean, I feel like he needs some flesh. Maybe. Uh, I kind of like the idea that he does, if only for the fact that you could sort of have his final regeneration be Doctor Moon. Oh, okay. So he just like as like the thirteenth, like there, or what would that be? Forty fifth. I mean, well, I guess he's a timeless I mean, child. This is the this is sort of the yeah. problem if he keeps regenerating because it's like yes. he could theoretically go an infinite number of times. Um, yeah, so, a timeless child does introduce a lot of problems. So maybe it? But, maybe it gets to forty five. The Vashtarada get bored, <laughs> and then he wanders <laughs> okay. into the hard drive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, he has to go off and fight some battle in the future and, and die yeah. uh, in River's arms. So, uh, but yeah, I, I like that as a way of bringing the forty fifth Doctor about, and a way of fully making Colin Salmon the Doctor. Uh, but yeah, in story terms, it's very hard to figure out what what happens here. We should we should mention that that Moffat is sort of repeating himself here with the ending of the Doctor dances. Yeah, right? he literally it, repeats himself. Everybody, yeah, everybody lives. lives. Everybody lives, and he he doesn't say it this time because well, it's like, it. yeah, she she says it, mm. uh, but it's so the reason it works so well in the Doctor dances is because it had never been done before in the history of Doctor Who. Right? Wasn't that a thing that you knew for years as a Doctor Who fan that in every story someone dies? That's actually a really good question. I think you, it's probably true. Mm. Um, and I'm surprised I haven't looked this up myself and know the answer. I'm pretty sure you're right. Uh, I seem to remember reading that as a kid. That was kind of a thing. And then I kind of couldn't stop noticing it going forward that in every Doctor Who episode. So that's why yeah. uh, Doctor Dance has really made a big impression on me the first time I watched it. It's like, oh, he, he is signaling to all of Who fans that he is officially ending that streak. Right. And just this once rose, everybody lives. Uh, and it happens again. And it's kind of nice that it happens again. You kind of feel that it should happen twice at least. Although everybody in the doctor's didn't adventures. live, if you want to get technical. I mean, Dave and proper Dave weren't saying. Yes. So yeah, you know. but he's out. We never I mean, meet guess, him within the scope of the story. Technically, though, if you think those people like they're they're versions of themselves in the yeah, I guess they lived. I mean, mm. would you say so? You're thinking the proper Dave. Where's proper Dave well, killed? I thought he was killed on the way. Well, I mean, but they're all all the people who are killed by the Vashtarada are downloaded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, would you say that that counts? Like, are they? Is that everybody living? Are I guess they? So. Are they alive? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of for the everybody lives ending. Yeah. Uh, then yes, you you have to assume that they're alive because Cal is alive, uh, even though. I, and and can I can I just insert here that Cal is it's a little bit weird that he left her with every book ever written to pass the time and she's right. just watching TV. I mean, come on, Cal, <laughs> get get with your education. Maybe that's why her quote unquote dad is there. It's like to try to encourage her to stop watching the damn TV and read every book ever written. Oh yeah, um, and she could shut him off. That was so sad. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that was. I I do wonder, by the way, how many kids kind of pointed a remote at their parents at that point uh, after watching that episode. <laughs> to press the button, like, I will say the, it's okay. The one thing that really um, lo- it doesn't quite date the episode, but locks it at a point in time is there's a point where the room around uh, the little girl is going crazy when mm. uh, the doctor's trying to sort of wake the computer up from sleep. And one of the things is a little robot dinosaur that's a, I believe it's a Wow Wee Roboraptor, which was a, or, or similar, same, same company, same line, but it was one of those popular things at the time. Wow, deep cut. I know. Well, I was a tech editor for a long time. <laughs> I, I had one of those things. And uh, it just sort of really makes it, oh, okay, this is, this is mid 2000s. Got it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're located in space and time there. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's um wow. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things to think about. Maybe this is a mark of a great Doctor Who episode, a uh, great Doctor Who story that it does make you question like, well, are these people truly alive in the mm-hmm. computer? Uh but yeah, um you know, certainly one of one of the Daves shows up. Uh, by the way, I, I have a friend in New York called Not That Dave, and the reason he's called Not That Dave <laughs> is because you know so many other people called Dave, and met one guy at a bar who was convinced that he was that Dave, and he had to keep saying, "No, I'm not that Dave." So that's what proper Dave always makes me think of. Dave is such a generic, and in fact, <laughs> one co- when I was in college, we had cartoons in our newspaper. I actually did one of them, and what, but there was another cartoon. And someone had characters, and one of them was Generic Dave. That was literally the character's name. <laughs> and I was inspired to do that to make my generic sidekick guy in my cartoon named Dave. So Dave was like, <laughs> <laughs> Dave. It's, Dave will never die as as the sidekick. He's he's always there. It is. He, he got that one movie where he got to be president, but other than that, he's always the sidekick. It's timeless. I bet if you look in the top names for boys born this year, the Dave's in the top five probably every year. <laughs> not the top 10 um Indeed. so yeah i think they're all live to to, yeah. to close the loop on that i like it as as, as alive as anyone uploaded to a computer ever is uh but it's sort of a sci- sci-fi convention that they are they are in black mirror totally mm. there is one last moment that i i remember i want to just mention because it reminded me of something that we had talked about previously because there's it's in actually very early in the first episode where the doctor and donna um, they're, they've really gotten the signal. There's something's wrong here. There's danger. Um, they haven't seen the shadows yet, but it's like people are missing. There's a, there's something wrong. Hmm. And very deliberately, I feel like the TARDIS is in the background and you know, they can just go and they don't. And hmm. I, I don't know about you. I like that. That's the thing I like. Like, it's like, this is our job. Okay. Like, I mean, yeah. this is, I mean, you know, it's not a job job, but this is our job. Like we, we run into danger and I, I like, this is what, this is the hero moment in a certain way for me, where it's like, we don't just run away and go on vacation. That's not what we do. We help people and someone needs help here. And we're, we're going to run into the danger. Indeed. Cut, cut to nev- next episode where they go on vacation. <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> anyway, it was a very Doctor Who moment for me. Uh, like I said, Stephen Moffat really—I mean, you know—he uh, he cracked all the uh, eggs and made a, a beautiful omelet, Doctor Who omelet. Here, it's got everything you want in a Doctor Who adventure. And yeah, I mean, yeah. and I, I, I know, and it is the bark of a good adventure because I—I I don't know if you're referencing this because I've discussed it on the podcast before that I don't like the moments where the Doctor doesn't just go right. back to the TARDIS. 
Um, but I didn't even notice it this time. There was so much going on. And I totally bought that. In this case, yes, the Doctor would be sucked in enough to the mystery. And there are enough lives at stake. You know, there are 4,000 lives in the balance. The stakes are made very clear here right from the start. So, yeah, I totally buy it. They wouldn't go back to the TARDIS this time. Cool. Uh, and or maybe Clara distracted them. Oh, yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe Clara turned up the perception filter somehow. Yep. <laughs> right I do wonder that sometimes whether the doctor's whether the perception filter works on the doctor himself, <laughs> and that's why he doesn't go back to the TARDIS. And like, oh wow, like, that's not bad. I, how did I get here why again? Did I, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever. Like the bad guy. It's the, it's the Time Lord equivalent of "Dude, where's my car?" Um, it's, <laughs> the totally. perception filter is on your car. But yeah, it's definitely one all of the right. all-time greats. Three Dalek Supremes for me. Um, yeah, totally awesome. Yeah, five Dalek plungers up, way up. <laughs> Alrighty, it's about that time now. Um, it's time to figure out where we're going next, I believe. Uh, okay. Briefly, before what's going next, I realized we forgot at the start of the show, you were going to surprise me live on air by telling me whether or not you were caught up to the latest Jodie Whittaker episode. We both forgot. I think we're going to have to insert something at the beginning, like, hey, if you want to know if Pete's caught up, <laughs> fast forward to whatever, an hour and ten, and you'll find this out. This is how we make you stick around, people, to the bitter end. So the answer is, I am caught up. Yay! <laughs> I've managed to watch the last episode of Flux and Eve of the Daleks in the past week, and um once on uh, one of those i was a little bit drunk um <laughs> and it was the wrong thing to be drunk with i will tell you uh the last episode of flux even was... the daleks oh the last no, episode I mean, of flux see, the thing is i feel like mm. even the daleks uh, chip doll is probably smart like moffat whereas smart moffat mm. when he wrote the christmas episodes was like we well, got to be loud you got to be in their face it can't be cerebral it's got to be super fun huge pacing and i think um chibnell wrote this if you have a hangover you know <laughs> and, and you're not doing so well i mean you're gonna be able to enjoy it you'll it'll be, right. it'll be all, you'll be all right so that's why i feel like when they did even the daleks they had the lower stakes certainly a bit timey-wimey but like yeah it was oh okay i get it you know like yeah. and where's flux holy man oh there's there's a lot <laughs> that goes on there where they try and tie up all the, the loose ends but we will get to that at some point in our well, random adventure here's the thing i'm very much looking forward to the rewatch when we get to flux because <laughs> it's like i stuff i missed i'm gonna catch and I'm, i think i'm gonna appreciate a lot more and there was definitely stuff i appreciated i thought there was um uh, definitely some of Chibnall's best work on the show. I mean, throughout the yeah. run. Uh, so like there was stuff I was riveted at. There was stuff I was confused by. Um, there was good emotional moments. So it all works. And Dan, man, Dan's the man. Dan is the man. And, and Eve the Daleks, I sort of kind of picked that one up a lot by saying, I think it's like almost a top 10 story for me. Do you, do you agree? We can, we can talk about the specifics when we get to it, but <laughs> are you, you don't, you don't quite think it's up there. No, it's not a top 10. Sorry, man. But we'll talk uh, about it when we get there. Uh, it's, right. it's, uh, it's could have been, and I, I have good theories on how. So, uh, yeah, I hope mm. we, I hope, in our next segment, we might come up 299 because that is the number of Eve of the Daleks Indeed. in the poll to open codex, uh, which is one part of our randomizer. 
Indeed. And it is time. It's time to activate the randomizer. It's time to find our next destination. We've seen through the perception filter. We've walked back into our TARDIS and we are off to our next adventure. And the randomizer comes in two parts. One part, the codex Peter's mentioned, is all of the discrete stories in the history of Doctor Who as we uh, have decided to to watch them as discrete stories. Link in the show notes. Indeed, check out check out our spreadsheet, guys. I know that's always a very sexy thing to say on a podcast, but I think I'm with my people when I say, you know, my Doctor Who nerds, they will actually go and check out a spreadsheet. Oh yes, um, oh yeah, we love we love we love some spreadsheets. I feel like every episode guide in the '80s was like a, basically a spreadsheet. That's all they ever like. It was just oh, like, yeah. here's the production code, here's the title, here are the subtitles of the episodes. If it was like an early up thing, it's you and had to. you. You are a true hardcore Doctor Who fan uh, and Pull to Open fan. If you if you listen to this episode and realize that you need to update your Who Has Played the Doctor in any conceivable form spreadsheet. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and adding Mr. Salmon to that. Uh, but anyway, the other part of the randomizer, the, the bit that makes it go, the executor is random.org, in which we generate true randomness via... Uh, atmospheric noise atoms bouncing around the atmosphere detected and uh, turned into a random number because computers are terrible at guessing at random numbers um they are great at making you think that you are living your life on fast forward or watching a, a tv and living with a remote but they are not great at uh simulating true randomness no, uh, that's so good so, that's why you know so all of the doctor's most fearsome mechanical foes have have organic components it just you know, the, the pure robots just not so you good. You need not that so randomness, as Boss the computer and the Green Death told us. You you do need that inefficient yes. random human element. So All right. let's find out where we're going next. Pete has the codex. I have the executor. Let's get random. Let's get random. Countdown. Yep. In three, two, one. Spoilers. One hundred and seventy-three. Oh. I think we're still in new. I think we are. Oh my. Oh my. It is the girl in the fireplace. What? Oh wow. Whoa. Okay. Getting once again, getting a little spooked out by the randomizer. Not only did it take us from the only forest in Who to the only forest in Who. That's the only <laughs> other forest in Who. Uh it, it it has taken us from a Beatles-esque Moffat and RTD. Right collaboration to another Moffat and RTD it's, collaboration. It's, this is getting eerie, you know? Like, it really right? is. Like, I mean, <laughs> it was not only one of the ones we mentioned earlier, but it's the one I nearly forgot about and decided, oh, right, they, that was another one. Boom. And it was like, it, it, wow. Like, it's it's <laughs> it's like listening. Almost forget about going to the fireplace, would you? Well, that's where yeah. we're going next. <laughs> Exactly. Wow. Well, this is going to be a yet another fine episode. I, I hope we don't um, burn out too many new who classics here in our yeah, well, here in season three of Pull to Open. We got many seasons to go, but you know we'll we'll go wherever the random the randomizer we we trust fully. Like it knows what it's doing. Clearly, the randomizer has spoken. We trust the randomizer, which almost sounds like we're brainwashed. Uh, you know, who characters <laughs> ourselves. All hail the randomizer. Yeah. Cut to two thousand years later, where we are actually worshiping the randomizer. I got to get as like, a god some kind of like 
uh, sweatshirt with a, a six-sided die as the icon, and like <laughs> the phrase "trust the randomizer." Trust the randomizer. Someone, someone, is, yeah, someone make that for is, us. Well, or maybe it is time, Pete, to, to start selling pull-to-open merch. I think it's, it's long past, Chris. Long past. <laughs> um, well, guys, this has been fantastic. Thank you for going on to this journey through yet another forest with us. Thank you for listening to Pull to Open the podcast. Uh, it's a podcast. Hey, if you haven't yet subscribed, please do. Uh, please tell your friends and family to subscribe. Certainly any Doctor Who fans or even mm, casual and your, fans. And your enemies. Tell your enemies. Right. Tell your enemies to subscribe. And who all of you, every single one of them, we'd love it if you would just leave us a review. Again, they really, really help get the visibility of the podcast out there. So whatever you're on, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever it is, please leave uh, a rating of five stars just throwing that out there and you know it mm-hmm. doesn't even have to be long like great job thumbs up emoji any emoji whatever you like yeah. if you're fashion and reviewing it just leave us like the chicken leg emoji the chicken leg perfect oh man mm. love it um so please do that follow us on social we're super active on tiktok at pull to open uh we're also on twitter and instagram at pull to open 63 so drop us a line there please give us a follow and uh we will see you next time for more fun with the Moffat Davies team on Girl in the Fireplace. See you, see you in the fireplace, everyone. Okay, take care.